Welcome to the second episode of the Think Wildlife podcast. Today we have Red Ayer Butler, the founder and CEO of Monga Bay, the world's leading conservation science news outlet. It was launched in 1999 and has ever since reached a billion views. It has carried out some of the most successful environmental journalism investigations in recent history. So my first question is what are some of the biggest challenges faced by the environmental journalism industry? Um yeah, I mean so there are a lot of challenges uh doing environmental journal- journal- journalism these days. Um one of the biggest ones is just um the threats that face journalists um essentially all over the world, but especially people who are covering environmental issues uh and also human rights issues. Um so sometimes this is you know physical violence but it's also things like um shrinking press freedoms so you know crackdown uh, crackdowns on journalists and journalism outlets so that could be arrests uh it could be uh you know raids by the tax authorities um another thing that's happening is um it can be difficult to get information from officials um so they may only speak with um outlets that are friendly to them um so so outlets that are critical of governments or companies may not be able to get access to information um another challenge is um news consumption in many countries is declining uh and there's some reasons for that um a lot of people are just burned out with all the the bad news and sort of overwhelming things happening in the world um some people no longer trust journalists um so running a a media outlet um you know that's that's a complex thing uh and then another big issue is around kind of fake news uh, quote unquote so people don't really know how to distinguish between what's real and what's not real um and then governments will sometimes use quote unquote fake news as a way to um suppress uh news coverage or uh, critical news coverage so these are all you know complicated challenges that that uh, journalists are facing today in recent years there's been a lot of misinformation particularly uh, against climate change and the environmental crisis so how at mongabay do you help tackle the issue of in- yeah i mean so misinformation is having a big impact um so on the environmental front um you know what this means is that people may not be getting the full picture of of what's actually happening um and so the way that we're trying to do this is um we try we try to properly cite sources and speak with experts um we also avoid sort of this concept of false balance where it's a type of balance a bias you sometimes see where journalists will present an issue um with balanced views between two with balance sort of giving this balance between two opposing viewpoints when in reality the evidence some of the evidence isn't real so for example you know like on uh around climate change um you know some media outlets will always interview like a climate change denier um and give sort of like this false equivalence that these two viewpoints are um you know are equivalent whereas it's it, it it's or or you know factually sound whereas in one case um you know one of the parties is is relying on misinformation and misrepresentation um and so we're really trying to avoid that um 
and uh, you know, in terms of sort of confronting misinformation directly, um, we don't do a lot of that. I mean, really focus on original reporting. Um, but that said, you know, going back, we we do sometimes um, you know call out some of this misinformation that's put out by by lobbyists and PR agencies. Um, you know, we've done a number of stories like that, kind of debunking um, pieces by. Um, uh, like lobbyists in, in the palm oil industry and the pulp and paper um, companies. Um, and a few years ago, I, I did a piece that um, kind of addressed some of the misinformation that was being put out by this prominent author who was saying that uh, deforestation in the Amazon, you know, wasn't a big deal, essentially. Um, so we are very concerned about misinformation and we, we do try to address it. So uh, what role do you think uh, journalism has in tackling the biodiversity and climate crisis? Um, well, so journalism does several things on that front. So one is it can raise awareness um, about what's happening in the world and you know why these things are important. Um, a component of that is increasing transparency and accountability, um, especially for governments and companies. Um, so people understand who's responsible for um, driving some of this damage um, that's being caused. Um, another thing journalism can do is it can help foster an enabling environment for a wide range of stakeholders. So if you do reporting on an issue, then um, you may elevate voices of, of NGOs or communities or scientists that wouldn't otherwise um, get attention. And so that can help uh, you know foster their work. Um, journalism can also help identify gaps and opportunities um, for positive change. And on that front, um, it can also be a source of uh, inspirational ideas, uh, but also um, direct action that people can take. Mongabe's undercover, undercover reporting has helped tackle some of the worst environmental cr crimes around the world. Which such investigation do you think has been the most impactful? Um, well, I mean, so yeah, our work covers all sorts of issues, including environmental crime. Um, and there's been a lot of examples, I guess. One of my favorite examples is from a few years ago in the Amazon. Um, there was this company that, uh, was a cacao company, you know, cacao is used for making chocolate. Um, and they were clearing large tracts of rainforest, uh, in the Peruvian Amazon. And so we did a lot of reporting on what was going on, which really elevated the issue internationally. And eventually the um, Peruvian government ruled that, um, you know, the company was operating illegally and it uh, pulled its permits. Um, and that uh, eventually led to the company getting delisted from London Stock Exchange. And the reason that was important was the company had been planning to um, raise more money to clear more forest. And so um, by getting delisted, essentially this um, um, hundred thousand hectares that uh, was supposed to be cleared uh, wasn't cleared, and so you know that has biodiversity and climate impacts. Um, so that's kind of one of my favorite examples of of our investigation in environmental crime that uh, you know contributed to a real world outcome. So uh, more about Mongabe. So um, how how has environmental um, journalism changed since the inception of Mongabe? And how has Mongabe also evolved uh, in the last two decades? Um, yeah, I mean, so it's Mongabe has evolved a lot. Um, so it's gone from being just me uh, doing reporting on environmental issues um, to a global nonprofit that has about 80 full-time staff 
about a thousand contributors in about 80 countries. So we have people who are working in many places um, across several languages. Um, one of the other things that's, that's changed has been the evolution of my role. So, you know, I started out as a, a writer um, producing content, uh, but I've had to, you know, radically shift what I do. And so I'm really focused now on management and fundraising. So, um, you know, my job is quite a bit different than when I started out. Um, in terms of topics we cover, um, we've gotten more narrow in our focus. So when I was just doing Mongo Bay myself, Mongo Bay covered a wide range of issues from like climate change to green design um, to, um, you know, like sustainability to tropical forests to oceans. Now we've really sort of focused on the intersection of people and nature. So that's things like forests, oceans, wildlife, and the conservation sector. Um, beyond that, we've also broadened um, the types of content we produce. So originally Manga Bay was just written content. Um, now we do podcast, video, you know, in addition to written. Uh, and then we also create content, content that's just for social media. And so, you know, 23 years ago when I started Manga Bay, there really wasn't social media. But now social media is a major um, distribution channel for us. So uh, recently, Manga Bay hit 1 billion lifetime views which is a quite a huge feat for such a specific niche. So what are some of the most prominent uh, digital marketing decisions which helped you achieve this feat? I mean, the biggest thing has really been creating high quality original content. Um, we've never done SEO. Um, and with our impact-driven nonprofit model, we don't even chase clicks. So we really just focus on creating good content. And that's really the marketing strategy that we've uh, embraced and we actually didn't even have any people on the team who did marketing uh until late last year when we made our first marketing hire so the first you know 22 years there was no marketing at all what have, what has been some of your biggest learnings from manga bay uh some of the biggest learnings from manga bay is uh i mean i would say first of all original content is really important so just focusing on, you know, creating really good content will sort of help you no matter what channel um, you rely on. Um, another thing is just being persistent. So persistent and consistent. So like consistently reporting on an issue over time, um, you know, can build your audience, but then also just persistence, um, which is really important for a nonprofit because it can take years to get a grant or a donation. Um, I mean, we just got a we just got a grant from a foundation that I've been working on for 14 years and um had uh between 70 and 80 meetings and phone calls with over that period of time. So it just it can take a really long time. Um that being said, it's also important to um to sort of prioritize. So really understanding what your strengths are and when you need to say no. Um, so sometimes you have to say no to donors because it's not aligned with your mission or they're asking for something that's you know, not consistent with your values or how you do things. Um, so I really focus on um, investing in what works, you know, what delivers the best results. Um, another important thing has been um, knowing, like establishing goals and then measuring progress against them. And so for that, we, we rely on a lot of data um, for our decision-making. And uh, if we find that the uh, 
you know, the data is showing something's not working or, or meeting our expectations and, you know, we need to make adjustments. And I guess lastly, just, um, you know, really being good at communicating um, to the audience. Um, and that's applicable to really any kind of work you do. What's the long-term vision for Mongabe in the next, let's say, five, five to 10 years? So we're actually um, working on our 2030 strategic plan now. So, you know, that's a, a seven-year time frame. Um, and so it's pretty consistent with what we've, what we've been doing in the last five years. It's really um, expanding into markets um, where we feel like our journalism can have a, a high marginal impact. Um, and so we have, you know, a model for deciding which topics and markets and languages we want to we wanna try to expand into. Um, another area that's a priority for us is we're really looking to build out more, I would say, is um, scaling up our data journalism. Um, and that includes, um, you know, a wide range of things, but it's both sort of on the heavy data side, but also how we use that data. So how we visualize that data, for example, and how we integrate that into our into our products. Um, supporting environmental journalists is another major um, thrust for us over the next several years. And so that, that includes creating more opportunities for journalists to get paid um, and get trained. Um, and so this year, actually last month, we launched a fellowship program and we hope to expand that over time. And then lastly, I would say that we're trying to, um, or focusing on evolving our strategies for how to really reach our target audiences. And this is important because the way people consume information is constantly changing. Why don't you elaborate a bit about your fellowship programs? Um, yeah, so the fellowship program that we just launched, um, it's a paid fellowship program um, in English and Spanish, and it's open for um, young and aspiring journalists um, in low to middle income tropical countries that are biodiversity hotspots. And so the goal of the program is to provide more opportunities um, to get firsthand experience and training um, for journalists in these countries. Um, and so we have, uh, a, it's a six month program. Um, each cohort has three people. So we have three in Spanish, three in English that are running concurrently um, every six months. And so there's no education requirement. So it's open to, you know, to any journalist, regardless of sort of their formal training. And um, each journalist works with, um, a main editor, but then they also engage with a wide range of editors from Manga Bay. So they get experience of working with, you know, different types of people. Um, and during the course of the six months, it's, it's part-time. Um, each fellow is expected to produce six articles. So it's an article per month. And the reason that's important is to land paying work in journalism. Uh, you typically need kind of like a portfolio. And so, you know, we're hoping that by doing six articles for Manga Bay, I mean, getting paid for those articles that uh, it will help further um, people in their, um, you know, journalism journey. So my final question for you is, what would be your advice for young and aspiring environmental journalists? I mean, the main thing is just to write, because um, you really need to sort of exercise um, that, you know, the writing muscle, I guess you could say, um, and just getting experience. And so, you know, whether that's writing for, on social media, on LinkedIn, on your personal blog, um, just get out there and start writing things. And then, you know, once you feel like your stories are developing, then you can start to, you know, to, to use them as, as pitches for, um, you know, getting paid opportunities. And so, 
yeah, I mean, really the number one thing is just practice writing um, and then also reading. So, you know, uh, reading is a great way to learn um, how to write better. So, yeah, uh, that is my final question. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you for, for having me. It was, it was nice to meet you and uh, thank you for the opportunity.